This is Making Money Easy with Gillian Bowen, the top economists and experts on the topics you want and you need to understand. Here's your host, Gillian Bowen. Hello, season three is flying by. This episode, we've got the latest data on inflation. Is it moving in the right direction for your bank balance? The May RBA interest rates decision is upon us. What's going to happen? And we've got the latest performance figures on the housing market. To help me help you, I'm joined by ANZ Senior Economist Adelaide Timbrell. Hello. Hello. So if you've been wondering about prices and if there's been any improvement over the three months to March, never fear, we've got the info right here. Yes, I felt it was time to make a small rhyming joke as we record this. And Adelaide, let's start with the headlines. What's the result? So inflation in Q1 of 2023, so the year to March 2023, we saw prices rise by 7%. Now, this is a really high number and nowhere near what we like to see, which is 2 to 3%, but still better than the yearly number for the year to December 2022. When we take out all the really volatile stuff and look at trimmed mean inflation, which is, you can kind of think of that as like the underlying momentum in prices once we take out petrol, things that can go up and down really quickly like fruit and veg, what we saw was another slowing of the annual number and actually uh, another really nice slowing in the quarterly number as well. So, you know, sometimes the annual number might uh, like trick us into thinking things are slowing down when momentum in the short term is actually, you know, the same or getting stronger. But we've seen both in the three months to March and the year to March, things are getting better. But getting better from a very strong price (laughs) increase to another very strong price increase. And if we kind of take the last three months and times it by four to see what would happen in the year, um, we would have still almost a 6% inflation rate. So we're still seeing prices continue to move too quickly, uh, which means there's going to have to be more slowing ahead before we can start getting more comfortable. Mm. So we're kind of we can we can we can take a small amount of hope that there is an impact from what's been done so far. If we're thinking about interest rates, that there there is an impact of that. Can we take comfort in that at least? Yeah, there's definitely been an impact from the interest rate increases we've seen both so far. And one thing that I think is really important is that the impacts of those interest rate rises don't all happen straight away. So we'll continue to see impacts of the interest rate rises up until now, even if there are no more interest rate rises from here. Just to clarify, oh, sorry. Yeah, 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 you go, you go. (laughs) Just to clarify, we do think there's going to be at least one more rate hike, but some of the effects of even the very first rate hike haven't hit all households. So if you had a fixed mortgage, for example, this whole time, you actually haven't been hit in a really direct way by even that number one rate hike, let alone, you know, the 10th rate hike that we saw earlier this year. Yeah, there's a lot of um, a lot of people rolling off fixed mortgages over the next couple of months, um, and we've we've dived into that actually on the podcast before. If you want to go back and and find that episode, I'll put a link to it in the show notes to see what the impacts will be as people roll off. It's really interesting. Look, I want to talk about what it is that's contributing to the high inflation that's keeping it where it is. What what did the data tell us about what it is that's contributing to it? 
Yeah. So when we have a look at the types of inflation we're seeing, some things are coming down really, really nicely and other things are getting worse. So global pressures on inflation seem to be easing. And what we saw was that in the three months to December last year, um, prices from globally set uh, markets increased by 1.5. So when I say globally set markets, all I'm saying is, you know, the price of petrol is kind of the same everywhere. If you can buy something just as easily from overseas as from Australia, it's a tradable good. Um, Whereas, you know, something like a barista coffee, if you bought it from overseas, it'd be pretty gross by the time it got to your door. So that's not included in that part of inflation. So that came down from a 1.5% increase in the three months to December to a 0.5%. 3% increase to the three months to March. So we're actually seeing that really back to mm. basically normal. On the mm. other hand, non-tradables inflation increased by 1.9% just in the last three months. And we saw services inflation increase by 1.7% in the last three months. So both of those are contributing to really, really strong inflation. And what that's telling us is that there's actually excess demand in the economy, which is a fancy way of saying people want to buy more stuff than what businesses can keep up with. So businesses are still having to raise prices, not just because their inputs are more expensive over time, but also because they're looking at all these customers and going, how do we pick which ones we can actually serve? And they pick them by raising the prices and letting people kind of self-select in or out of that market. So for example, you know, if coffee goes up to six bucks, some mm. people are going to be like, hell yeah, want my caffeine. Other people yes. are going to be like, you know what, mm. too much for me. And that's how we see that self-selection in the market. But we only see that happen in really high price increases when there's just way too many customers. That's also why the Reserve Bank wants to have those interest rates at that high level, just to hurt us enough that we stop overwhelming businesses with how many customers there are. But I think there's other things at play as well in regards to services inflation, perhaps things I'm thinking about that people can't really cut back on, like medical services or electricity if we're now going in to winter um we can and and rents we can dive deeper into rents as well shortly. but there there is a bit of that going on, isn't there where where the consumer doesn't have a choice. Absolutely. Yeah, we are seeing some of those what we call essential expenses continuing to rise. And that's no, you know, no one's fault. And really neither is seeing our customers get overwhelmed. It's all part of these cyclical economic fluctuations. But there is a rental crisis, of course, we know that and we're seeing that come through in the CPI data as well. In fact, housing just by itself contributed almost 0.5 percentage points um, to the quarterly increase in CPI of 1.4. So about a third of the price increase actually came from the increase in the cost of housing, which is for people who own their homes, an increase in the cost of a mortgage or the increase in the cost of constructing a home. But, you know, I think very importantly as well, renters are seeing huge uh, increases, particularly anyone who's moving house or re-upping a lease, and that's coming through quite strongly uh, mm. in the data. Before we get into rents, I don't think we can ignore how much people travelling or, or having, I guess, holiday fun or holidays in general is contributing to the inflation figure. Oh, absolutely. I think what we've seen is that people don't really mind 
or I mean, at least people will still purchase those domestic and international holidays to an extent, even despite the price increases in the last three months to March alone, domestic holiday travel and accommodation prices went up by 4.7%. If we annualize that and think of it in those year-on-year terms that we're more used to, that would equate to like a 20% increase year-on-year. And Mm. we've seen really similar data (laughs) for international holidays. It's crazy that people are Mm. still willing to purchase that. It just shows how desperate we are to leave the country after those two years in lockdown. And, and potentially as well how much uh, spare cash a certain amount of the economy, a certain amount of the population in Australia still has. Absolutely. We're, we're barreling into, you know, not just a housing supply issue in the economy but a wealth inequality issue as well. If you didn't have a mortgage in 2020 or 2021, you didn't really win out from those really low fixed rates, really low mortgage rates, which put more money in your pocket. If you're a renter, you didn't really get that win. And now everything's getting much more expensive. Our wages aren't keeping up. For some people, that means a lot of economic pain. And for other people, that means a huge offset account that just isn't growing quite as fast as it was last year. So we are seeing that the people who do have those big savings buffers to fall back on, mostly homeowners, um, they are contributing most likely more to the price increases than renters who are really probably only spending more because they have to rather Mm. than because of, you know, the discretionary side of things. Mm, gosh, it's it's really just dropped my pen there. Apologies for the sound effects. Um, it's really kind of a an us versus them sort of scenario that's appearing to develop. But and let's let's dig a bit deeper into rents. The Australian Bureau of Statistics has put out an information paper presenting insights from the rental market based on a new large data set used to measure rents in the consumer price index. What has it found? So what we've seen is that rents have increased really, really quickly from about mid-2021 through to now, particularly in capital cities, which we saw rents actually go down during that first year of COVID, but then really catch up and increase quite strongly. We know that for people who are coming into new rental agreements, those rental prices are up 14% year on year. Uh, And we're seeing that across uh, the market from kind of the lowest to the highest rentals that um, they're all growing really, really quickly. Some people think that's because of high interest rates uh, and high interest rates are certainly a trigger for some landlords to increase rents because they're seeing their cost of their mortgage go up. But the reason they can increase those rents, the reason that renters are saying yes to that is not because of high interest rates. It's actually because of extremely low vacancy rates. So when we look at how many rentals are unfilled as a percentage of the total rental stock in capital cities, for Brisbane, Adelaide, Perth and Hobart, it's less than 1%. So for every 100 rentals, less than one is actually free and on the market. And then in Sydney and Melbourne, it's a touch higher, but it's actually still the lowest it's been since at least... 2010. So anyone who's finding it hard to get a rental or feels like they don't have much power uh, in the rental market is absolutely right. It's a lot less bargaining power than usual because if you need that home and we all need somewhere to live, um, Mm. but there's not many homes on the market when your landlord says, hey, you know, I want 50 bucks extra a week or 100 bucks extra a week, you don't have as many options. And that's really what's driving that rent increase. At the same time, 
building approvals are actually coming down. So there's not as many um, developers looking to build apartments because the cost of those materials are really, really high. Uh, housing prices up until quite recently have been falling. And so the maths doesn't work out when you go, well, my cost of funding's higher. My cost of materials mm -hmm. is higher. The building sector is having some issues and I don't know what price I'm going to get for these apartments once they're done. So mm. that's creating a really uh, kind of medium term issue for housing supply as well, where there's really not a light at the end of the, of the tunnel, certainly not in the, in the near term. Hopefully in three to five years, things will be a lot better. But in the next one year, for example, we're not really expecting a huge amount of new homes to come on the market. Mm, mm. Now, all of this is playing into the May RBA board meeting. It's imminent. What's ANZ's thinking on what will happen? So um, the Reserve Bank in April was saying, oh, we want to assess the lags of monetary policy. We were kind of pretty close between hiking and pausing. Um, none of these are quotes. They're just my kind of paraphrasing of the meeting and the uh, <laughs> April meeting minutes. Um, hey, I, can, look, I, I, can... <laughs> I like to pretend I'm the voice of the RBA too at times when I paraphrase. So I get it. I get yeah. it. It's fine. So... As you were. Yes. Um, look, you know, if we want to make Good it really line. specific, um, the quote is members recognise the strengths of both sets of arguments, my paraphrasing being those arguments are to hike or to pause, but on balance agreed that there was a stronger case to pause at this meeting and reassess the need for further tightening at future meetings. Um, members also observed that they would receive another quarterly reading on inflation. That's another quote. Um, so we got that quarterly reading since the um, since the last yep. RBA meeting in April. Um, yes. And what it showed us was that compared to the Reserve Bank's forecast on inflation, things are actually looking pretty in line with what they were thinking. So if they've been saying, you know, we've got to assess the lags of monetary policy, you generally need more than four weeks to do that. Mm. Uh, and so we don't really see them pausing to assess the lags and then four weeks later hiking again, um, particularly if inflation is in line broadly with their forecast and particularly trimmed mean inflation because when they make decisions you don't want to make a long-term decision based on a short-term fluctuation so short-term fluctuations get kind of um, you can see them in the headline inflation figure but in the trimmed mean inflation figure they're kind of taken away and the trimmed mean inflation figure actually looks really good it looks better and lower than um, what we were expecting and really in line with what the Reserve Bank's forecasts are. So if their forecasting is saying the same thing as the data, if they wanted to assess the lags, all of this to me adds up to, and to our team, adds up to a pause. But we do mm. think they'll need to hike at some point mm. and we think that point will be August. And the reason for that is that in July, we get another fresh inflation reading. They can see exactly what's happened over the three months to June. Mm. And then they can go, is this concerning for us or not? We expect it will be. And that's when that next hike happens. Ooh, I love it. So how it's all how it's all coming together, how it's all plotted out. And so if there is a pause, um, people like to think that rate hikes and cuts and pauses have an impact on the housing market. ANZ has also got some research out on what's going on with pricing in that space. What have you guys found out? Absolutely. So when we think about the impact of interest rates on housing, it's all about borrowing capacity. If the interest rate goes up, everybody can borrow less because we're assessed on 
whatever the variable rate is plus three percentage points as a buffer. And so when the rate goes up, then the amount we have to prove we can service goes up for the same loan amount. So compared to last year, everybody can borrow less, uh, you know, unless you've got a, a pretty huge pay rise. Um, but on average, it's a lot less. Um, we saw that was a really major factor in the 9% decline in housing prices from their peak in April 2022. But we think that the declines are, are basically over now. We were initially expecting more, but strong population growth, as well as some competition in the banking sector, keeping um, variable rates a little lower than expected, um, is actually creating um, some momentum in the market. The fact that there's just less houses coming online as well, like because of some of the building sector issues is also mm. creating this stronger competition. So what it really means is we've got a little less firepower than usual, but we are just sprinting as fast as we can into the property market. And so that lack of firepower is not really impacting prices anymore. We think mm. that prices at the end of this year will be pretty similar to what they were at the start of this year. And then wow. next year, they'll go up just a tiny little bit around 2%. So we don't think things are really, we don't think the situation is really such that housing prices can boom again, because at the end of the day, we do have less borrowing capacity. You know, the unemployment rate is very low, but unless we're all buying in groups of three or four, that's not really going to affect borrowing capacity that much. And inflation also hits our borrowing capacity too. Every time your grocery bill gets more expensive, you've actually got less left over to prove you can service a loan. So those are the things that keeps prices more stagnant. But then pushing prices up is that huge competition for housing, the fact that you know you're going to get a better rent when you're an investor, the fact that you maybe are desperate to get out of the rental market as a um, person trying to get into the property market. And there are also going to be some... Uh, immigrants which would you who would usually take longer to actually buy a home so when you come into a country you usually want to rent for a while but if there's nowhere to rent mm. and you can actually afford to buy you're more likely to be at that auction and the more people at the auction the more those emotions run high and those prices run high as well mm, got so many things at play i will put um a link to Adelaide's Twitter in the show notes, which is where you'll be able to find information that she's tweeted in regards to ANZ's research on the property market and the consumer price index and on interest rates. So it's all happening. We are out of time. If you haven't already, give the pod a follow in your favourite pod app. Hopefully your brain is now suitably expanded. Message me if you want something explained. I'm on Twitter or LinkedIn at Dillian H. Bowen. Speak to you next week, same time, same place. Thank you, Adelaide Temple, for being the expert in my room this week. Thanks, Gillian. Bye-bye.